Good morning, ladies. Let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for um, the ancient words that you've given us, and they give us life, and they change us, Lord. I pray that we would be desperate for them, that they would be um, like air to us, that we would be so needy for them that we run to them um, continuously throughout our days. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage that talks about practicing godly qualities um, and talk about sanctification in our life, Lord, that, um, that you would sanctify us with your spirit and sanctify us with your truth and your word is a truth, Lord. And I pray that as we dig into your word, Lord, um, that it would be like washing us with your word and so that we would come out clean, Lord. And I just pray that as we talk about sanctification, that we will remember that there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ, Lord, and that um, we would leave today looking different than we did when we came in because of our time in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Abby used an illustration of a backpack to talk about how when we've been saved, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness. It's just our responsibility to pull the things out of the backpack and put them into practice. She also shared some illustrations um, about her kids and vacation, and it reminded me of a trip that we took with our boys that involved a backpack. About six or seven years ago, uh, Brian and I decided to take our boys to Washington, D.C. And before the trip, I splurged, and I brought all those treats that we usually don't buy for the boys, so the little individual bags of chips, I think fruit roll-ups or something like that, all sorts of goodies so that we would have snacks throughout the day and to keep them from asking to buy things from all the vendors, right? Um, I think I had Gatorades and waters, and I mean, I really went all out. The other thing I did was I made a schedule of everything I wanted to see while we were there so we didn't miss anything that D.C. had to offer, especially the free places. But there was one place, the state capitol, that you had to make an appointment with in advance. And so I even did that. I had a, an appointment to go in and see, not the state capitol, that's in Raleigh, the national capitol. So we made an appointment to see the national capitol uh, the first morning of our vacation at 8 o'clock. So we went up to D.C., spent the night, got up the next morning because we spent a, the night outside of D.C., again, to save money got on a train and then the subway and got to the Capitol and waited and eight o'clock came around and it was our time to go into the Capitol and the guard said, oh, I'm sorry, you can't take food into the Capitol. I'm like, wait a minute, you don't know what's in my bag. This is going to take our boys through the whole day. And at that moment, he's like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get rid of the food before you go into the Capitol. And a decision had to be made. And ladies, um, We enjoyed those snacks all day long. (laughs) I'm not saying we made the best choice, but we did not go into the Capitol building that day because that backpack was very important to us. So today in this lesson, there's also a decision that has to be made. You're going to see how Peter compares the person who lacks the godly qualities to the person who practices the godly qualities. And you should look at it and you should evaluate your life and say, What decisions am I making? What choices am I making? Am I making them to be one that practices or one that lacks? And so we're going to look at the text this morning. Turn to your Bibles in 2 Peter, verse 1. We're going to, I think Abby said, back up and get a running start. Did she say that last week? We're going to read one extra verse this morning. We're going to start in verse 8. It says, For these qualities are yours. Excuse me. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, before the Israelites were going into the promised land, Moses told them, when you go into the land, there's going to be one mountain. I want, you, I want half of the elders to stand on one mountain, and I want you to shout down the blessings for those who follow the Lord. And then he said, half the other elders go up onto the other mountain, and you're going to shout down, cursed is the man who doesn't follow the Lord. And so the thing about these these instructions was Moses wrote them down in Deuteronomy. And remember, he would die before he'd go into the promised land. But, and so he wouldn't know if they followed through on this, although they did. You can look at that in Joshua chapter 8. But it was important before he died for him to tell them, there is a choice that you're going to be faced with. Are you going to receive blessings because you're following God's commands? Are you going to receive curses because you're choosing not to? And Joshua, likewise, before he passed away, he said, choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that was in Joshua 25. And so too, Peter, before he dies, he is saying, you have decisions that you have to make. You've got, are you going to lack qualities? Are you going to practice these qualities? And so um, we learned last week the importance of making every effort and growing in these godly qualities. It shows that you are connected to the vine. It shows that you are using Christ's strength and that his powerful energy is working in you. And when you do, you'll be ineffect- or you will be effective and fruitful. But this week, Peter is going to give us more insight about the blessings or the consequences of either practicing or lacking to practice those qualities. So first, we're going to look at those who lack godly qualities. And on your handout, you'll see there's three things. Uh, Verse 9 says, for whoever lacks these qualities. Now, to think about lacking something, that's to have these qualities absent in your life, or to be without these qualities, or to have a deficit of these qualities in your life. In other words, this verse is describing the believer that lives without virtue, the believer that lives without knowledge, the believer that lives without self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly affection and love. That's who he's describing as a believer that doesn't have these qualities. He says, um, a believer that lives like that is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So right there in the text, you see the three things that characterize someone that does not have these godly qualities in their life. They're nearsighted, blind, and forgetful. So let's think about nearsightedness. Um, you talked about this in your homework. Someone who's nearsighted, um, it's also known as short-sightedness. It's an eye condition that causes you distant objects to appear blurry, Um, while close objects appear normal. And if you think about that in spiritual terms, that often will describe my life because the decisions and the commitments that I have or the duties and deadlines of a mother of boys on the go are always bombarding me. And some of you may be able to sympathize with that because you've changed 10 diapers and washed three loads of laundry, you've washed dishes and the dog maybe, and you've filled it a thousand questions of your preschooler all before lunch, right? Some of you, may it may not be the duties of motherhood, but maybe it's the um, worries of the world that are claiming your focus, right? Your health is um, an issue. Or maybe it's you're caring for your aging parents. Maybe it's you're thinking about retirement and you're worrying, have I done enough? What else do I need to do? Maybe... Um, 
Maybe it's strained family relations or a difficult marriage, but there is something in your life that is so close to you that it's like putting something between you and the things of the Lord. Like heaven seems so distant. Jesus may seem so distant because of the things in your life that are so close. Others of you, it may not be the worries or the obligations or the duties. It might be the pleasures of this world. Ready? Really? The pleasures might steal our attention. It could be um, Facebook or Twitter or uh, the latest show on Netflix that is so close to us. It keeps us from seeing the um, spiritual things and the importance of those. It may not be technology. It may be a good book or a home improvement project, right, that so captures your focus that you don't have eyes to see the value of eternity because eternity doesn't seem like it's so close, right? Anyway, it may be success at a job or the accolades that come because you're doing such a great job at work. What is it, ladies? We all have something in our life that's so close to us. Um, And often these things are not bad. I mean, we are supposed to care for our children. We are supposed to care for our families and our home. And we are supposed to work in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. So the problem comes when they are what your focus is on and they prevent you from seeing things of the Lord. Because the next quality that Peter says is that when you are so nearsighted, you become blind. When you're nearsighted, you can fix that problem, right? We put glasses on and no longer do we have the problem of being nearsighted, right? But when you become blind, only a miracle can fix that problem. It says um, only Jesus can give us eyes to see. Only he can open the eyes of blind men. When you become blind, you've become so callous to the things um, of the Lord that you may not even realize that there's a problem. Peter explains that the cause of blindness is twofold, right? You've got things in front of you that are so close that they're causing your the distant objects to be blurry. But he also says in verse 9, the second part, that they've forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. So this third description of the person who claims to be a believer is that they're forgetful of the past. So this is a failure of sight, and it's also a failure of memory. And so you would need to train your eyes to see better, and you train your mind to think more rightly, right? Now, Elliot's commentary, and when I mention commentaries, ladies, just so you know, in the Bible study, I talked to you about Bible Hub being a place where you could find different translations of the Bible. On Bible Hub, you can also find all of these commentaries. And as you're going through your week, we don't expect you to go in and look at the commentary. That's what we're doing. And so as we teach you, we're trying to go from other sources to give you the information. But when I mention these commentaries, that's where I find them is on Bible Hub. So everybody has access to those. So Elliot's commentary tells us that the word used in this verse for having forgotten is the inevitable result of willful neglect. The neglect to cultivate Christian virtues. The forgetfulness is not the cause of the short-sightedness, but it's a phase of it. Okay, And Jameson's commentary calls it a willful and culpable obliviousness. So our neglect to practice godly qualities in our lives are what cause the forgetfulness. Okay? And when we're forgetful and when we're nearsighted, that causes blindness, okay? And uh, ignoring the need to practice godly living is kind of like saying, if it's out of sight, it's going to be out of mind. So if you're not intentionally thinking about it, you're going to forget about it. So we don't want to be ladies that intentionally forget about what God's done in our life. Because what he's forgetting 
is that we've been cleansed from our former sins, right? We're failing to remember our salvation when we forget that. We forget that we've been made new. We are new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. There should be a difference in our life. So Peter is addressing believers. He's not addressing people who don't know the Lord. He is addressing people who know the Lord and yet are failing to walk in the newness of life, okay? If one has knowledge, but it doesn't change their life, it's not a saving knowledge. Even the demons know Jesus and shudder, right? So we want to have the knowledge that makes a difference in the way that we live, Matthew 7 says, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven. And Matthew, Isaiah, and Mark all talk about people that honor the Lord with their lips, but their heart is far from him. And we don't want to be, we don't want to make that choice, ladies. Um, As believers, we can't forget that God has done a work in our life. So how do we keep from being nearsighted, blind, and forgetful? Well, you can ask yourself, what in my life is distracting me from eternal things? You can ask, how can I insert reminders in my life every day to keep my eyes focused on eternal things? You can also remember and be intentional to praise God for saving you from your sins. Now, I'll say in my life, and for me right now, it's my children, but we all have people because we all sin, right? So we all have people in our lives that are also sinning. And we talked about in our group that often you notice the sin in others that you yourself possess so when you get irritated with somebody, you see sin in their life. For me, it may be my, my kids. But, you know, you need to think, the Lord has saved me from a sin. He can save them from their sins as well and praise them. I can't tell you how many times um, I've ended up sinning against my kids. And right there in front of them, I'll say, boys, that's why I need Jesus. And so verbalize your praise to him. That'll help keep it on the forefront. But the reality is... Is the best cure for being nearsighted, blind, and forgetful is given to us in Peter in the next verse. In verse 10 and 11, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, the blessings of practicing the godly qualities are that you confirm your calling you never fall, and you receive a rich entrance into heaven. So let's think about what does it mean to confirm their calling. The ESV says, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. The NIV says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. And the Brian study Bible says, be all the more eager to make your calling election sure. And the verb in this verse is in the Greek, I don't know Greek, ladies, but I'm just telling you this because I thought it was pretty interesting. It's actually in the middle voice, which means as much as it depends on you. If it were in the active voice, it would be a definitive make, meaning you make it happen. That's not the tense that's used here, which tells us we are not the one that makes the calling. We are not the ones that makes the election. So what does it mean when you think about make your calling and election sure? Our calling and election are made and done as a result of God's decision and not our merit. Remember in our, Bible, in our study this week, we looked at 2 Timothy 1 and 8, and it said it's God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace. So when God says to be diligent, to make your calling and election sure, we don't have to do anything to be called. That's God's part. So the confirmation is for our own personal assurance, okay? When we see fruit in our life, it grows our confidence to know that the Lord is working in us. Brian says it this way, that the best assurance 
assurance of current, of salvation. It's not a past decision. It's current belief and a current practice of your faith. 1 Peter 1-2 says, You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Practicing these godly qualities is like watching the Spirit of God um, sanctify us. Last year, Jim Wilkins talked to us about the sanctification process, and she said when we are, about what the salvation does on sin in our life. When we are first saved, we are saved from the penalty of sin, and that's justification. And then as we are working out these qualities in our life, we are saved from the power of sin more and more as we grow in these godly, godly qualities. And that's the sanctification of our life. And one day when we get in heaven, we will be freed from the power and, the, and we'll, be, we'll be freed from the... There's so many P's. It gets confusing, right? We'll be saved from the penalty. We'll be saved from the power. But we'll also be saved from the presence of sin. And that's going to be our ultimate glorification and so there's a quote that she has that says, we rest confidently in our justification. We labor diligently in our sanctification. And that's what we're talking about today when you practice those qualities, laboring diligently in your sanctification. And we hope expectantly in our glorification. So I just want to reiterate, our works don't save us. Jesus saves us. Faith in Christ saves us. But our works are evidence of a changed life, and it's an overflow of the love that we have for our Lord. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So when we see evidences of these godly qualities in our lives, we shouldn't look at ourselves and think, I'm doing all right. I'm pretty good. I am a great Christian. That should never be what these godly qualities produce in our life. But instead, they should, they should cause gratitude, thankfulness that the Lord is working in our life. They should um, produce humility. And, but they also should produce a confidence, but not a confidence in ourselves, a confidence in the Lord's ability to change our life, right? So the next um, quality that you see in someone who practices I guess the next evidence of a person who practices godly qualities is that they never fall. So we all know that means you'll never sin again, right? No. I think you guys can figure that out um, yourself. And verse 10 says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. The word is often translated stumble, but do you think it means it will never stumble either? No, because... And that same word is used several times in James and again in Romans. In James, it says that we stumble in many ways. But in Romans, this is how it uses that word. It says, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? By no means. So this stumbling and falling that it's saying that we will not do is we will not stumble beyond recovery. We're not going to be ones that fall into the temptation of those false teachers that we're going to be talking about in the upcoming weeks. If you practice godly qualities, it means that he is going to be on the forefront of your mind. You're going to be thinking about him, and that is going to protect you against not only the blindness and the forgetfulness, but the, the false teachers and the, the stumbling blocks that they will put in your way, and you will not be one to fall um, beyond recovery and ultimately fall away from the Lord. But instead, you get to the third characteristic. You're going to receive an entrance or welcome into Christ's eternal kingdom. Now, this verse in particular, I loved reading in different translations because in 
the ESV, it says, they'll be richly provided for you an entrance. But the NIV says you will receive a rich welcome. And the Berean study says you will receive a lavish reception. How many of you would love a lavish reception? That sounds really nice to me. But the idea is the one that practices practices these qualities is one day going to get in heaven and they're going to get a warm embrace and hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Okay. Now this verse speaks more to the type of entrance that you're going to receive in heaven. It does not speak about whether or not you're going to be allowed in heaven. Okay. Because remember in this passage, Peter is talking to believers, right? And so your works are not going to be what gets you into heaven. Again, that's Jesus. So even a believer that is living unfruitful and sadly ineffective life doesn't mean they're not going to be in heaven. But what kind of welcome will they receive? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about the believers being God's fellow workers. And he says that each man's work will be tested to see what sort of work each one has done. He talks about some receiving a reward, but others having their work burned up and them being saved and escaping, but only through fire. This is not the lavish reception, rich, welcome, warm entrance that Peter talks about in heaven for believers that are practicing godly qualities. And ladies, I will tell you, over and over again, it talks about um, there is there are going to be rewards for work well done. In fact, on your outline, that's all those verses that are listing, listed under the last point are all verses that talk about every man being, being repaid according to his deeds or um, being, let's see, what's another one? Be recompensed for his deeds in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Every one of those verses um, tells that truth. There will be a different welcome a different entrance, a different experience for those who practice these godly qualities. I think also these verses um, support that idea. If you look at, and this, I really enjoyed getting out my copy of Second Peter when I was looking at these words because the word richly and lavishly, which describe the welcome in verse 11, mirrors the same word that's used in verse 8, which translates abounding or increasing, and it's talking about the qualities. So that connects the idea that the qualities, as you practice them, is going to reflect on the welcome you receive, okay? Also, in verse 11, the word translated provided is the same word that's translated supplement in verse 5. It's almost like saying we provide or add or supplement these qualities in our life and that points to Jesus and blesses him and magnifies his name. And again, when we do that, we are always using his strength, his power, his energy working in us to do that. And it says that he will provide or add or supplement the entrance into heaven. And so I think it's neat how those words mirror each other and really connect the idea of the way we live. One day, it will determine the type of entrance into heaven that we'll receive. Again, it's not whether or not you're saved. It's the reception that you'll receive. So something to think about. We have a choice. As women who profess to live in him, are we going to choose to live lives lacking in virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and, and godliness and brotherly affection and love? 
because we are so distracted by the world and what is put in front of us and we're blind to the eternal inheritance that we have waiting in heaven for us? Um, Are we going to live as people who are forgetful that we've been cleansed of former sins and forgetting what the blood of Jesus has done in our lives? Are we going to be intentional to practice these qualities? Which brings me up to, to talking about the word to practice. What does it mean to practice something? Now, for me, someone talked about um, how a doctor practices. For me, I think about like an elite. Now, I say elite because an elite athlete or musician. Because for those of you who have kids, like my boys, I let them do the sports where they have one practice and one game a day. I mean a week, not a day, good gracious. A week. And I wouldn't necessarily say that's the way to get elite athletes, right? But an elite athlete or musician, they are willing to dedicate time and energy to hone their skill, right? They don't practice once a week. Sometimes they don't even do it once a day. They go to two-a-days sometimes. They get after it every day. And, and even when they aren't physically practicing, they're mentally thinking about it maybe downloading clips from YouTube about how they can improve their skill, right? They invest significant money to have the resources that they need, the equipment that they need so that they can do their skill even to the next level, right? They're willing to sacrifice um, time doing other things in order to have time to focus on the thing that is so important to them. Often they get coaches or trainers that are going to push them beyond what they would do on their own so that they could continue to excel at that sport or at that instrument, right? Now, I would ask you, does this describe our pursuit of godly qualities? Are we, how much are we willing to invest our time, our energy, our resources? Are we actively seeking someone that's going to push us in our faith and sharpen us as iron sharpens iron? Are we satisfied, not with being in a, and again, the word elite, you might not want to think about being an elite, an elite Christian because that kind of sounds exclusive. However, you know, to what level do you want to um, refine, have the Lord refine your life? It's a question that is worth asking yourself. And the last po- point that I want to um, bring out is that the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is eternal. It's going to last forever. And it's far going to exceed any worldly distraction that we have in front of us. It's far going to exceed any worldly pleasure that has gripped our sight. One day, the things, the trials, the pleasures of this earth are going to fade away, and we're going to be face-to-face with our Savior. So we don't want to let this world cloud our vision, right? Now, I want to go back to our story about D.C., we did make the choice at that point to follow our sensual pleasures rather than, than maybe something else. Maybe that God was our stomach on that day. But it would have made a better illustration if I could say that we went through the day and we enjoyed everything that was in our backpack and we used it to nourish us and give us strength. We were able to share with others all the treats that were in our bag and even made them have a better time in that day. And at the end of the day, we got to go into the Capitol building, our backpacks totally used up to have all the important people at the Capitol saying, come on in, let me show you this place. And the reality is, is we can plan another trip to D.C. and it could work out like that, right? But we only have one chance at this life. We have one chance to get it right. So what choice 
are we going to make? Are we going to intentionally live as those who practice the godly qualities? Or are we going to look back at our life and find that they've been lacking and one day enter into heaven barely escaping, right, the fire? We want to be women that make every effort to practice these qualities so that one day as we enter heaven, we the Savior's arms be wide and he'll be waiting for us and he'll warmly embrace us. We'll get a lavish reception and we'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the ladies we want to be. So that's my challenge for you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look through this passage, as we think about growing in these godly characters, we would remember that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you that your spirit works in us to will and to act according to your good pleasure. And so you don't leave us alone to try to work out these qualities, Lord, but you are with us every step of the way. I pray that we would remember that we have these precious and very great promises. We have your spirit in us. We have your uh, son as a model to follow. We have your word as a guide and a resource. Lord, you have not left us to do this on our own, and we are so grateful for that. Lord, we just thank you that you have promised us an eternal inheritance one day that is never going to perish, spoil, or fade. And so, Father, I pray that as we run this race with endurance, we would throw off the things that hinder us or entangle us, and that we would run the race with our eyes fixed on you, not being blinded by the world, but with our eyes focused on you, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.